Hello, I am Deb Covey-Ello, and I am grateful you've joined us for another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My dog, Reagan, is here with me, hopefully being quiet while we record this preamble. But today, we're going to do things a little bit differently, though I am so excited to introduce my guest today, Roberta Matheson. She is an amazing person and talks about workplace relationships. And you know, I'm sincerely, sincerely passionate about this topic. But first, I have been on a journey connecting with so many leaders, plant managers, directors, managers in manufacturing and quality. I sincerely resonate with these people, but anybody that is in an operation and needs to take goods and services, convert them to ultimately meet customer expectations. I love these conversations. And I asked this one particular individual that I connected with, you know, what was it that really worked in their career to elevate their impact versus their challenges? And it all boils down to one simple message that I'm grateful to share with you today. And they said that I had a great mentor, that their first session that they had met where he had a lot of items on what he thought he needed to do to go from A to B to C in order to advance his career. When the mentor spoke to that person, they said, you need to look at things differently. He then asked, what type of people do you enjoy working with? And then what type of work did you enjoy? and then go from there. So sound advice, don't necessarily check the box on all the technical stuff that you need to do. And while that is necessary to really, really have a rewarding career, one, have a mentor, but also understand what you are passionate about, because we're working for many, many years. And while you may need a particular role to help you financially, and you may want a particular role because of the the stature and the intellectual stimulation, the most important thing is to also be passionate and truly love the work that you do. Because we have so much time on this earth here to make an impact, but we might as well also be passionate about it and sincerely enjoy it. So that is my quick lesson from this amazing conversation with this professional that I spoke to and aligned with that, I sincerely care about the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow for which I am offering a mastermind July 11th and July 18th to help you better position your value statement. We are talented, but sometimes we don't have a well-groomed elevator pitch so that when you do connect with people for the first time, they understand you and the value that you bring. So please, please, if you are interested in that, reach out to me, visit my website, etc. You will find more information about this, as well as the Drop-In C-Suite Academy, where we dedicate 13 weeks, 12 to 13 weeks, in order to provide you the best insights I have to help you be the leader of tomorrow and navigate with confidence. But now, I am so overjoyed to have this conversation with Roberta Matheson. You really, really enjoy her insights now. Let's listen. Well, I think that they don't put enough stock into the fact that they really need to invest in their people and that people don't work for companies. They work for people. When you work in an organization, we all know everything's not perfect. But if you work for a leader who you really like, you respect, he or she respects you, you have a great relationship, you're more likely to stay even if everything isn't perfect. But when you get into these situations where you feel like nobody really cares, nobody would notice if you went away tomorrow, if the phone rings, you'll pick it up. And if it's a call about a new opportunity, you'll be like, yes, I'm interested. So I feel really strongly that if you believe in the practice of treating people 
well and investing in the growth of your organization and your people, that the time to call is when you are in a place where you're thinking, I'm good, but I could be better. We could do things better here. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Cobiello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am grateful again that you have joined us for another amazing episode where I have the good fortune week after week to speak to amazing leaders and experts so they can share their insights and inspiration for you. And if this was a very good episode for you, I would sincerely ask if you could share, rate, review, tell others so we can continue to bring great programming. And please know that we care about the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow. We want to help you get you to your career goals. So now I am honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Roberta Matchison. For more than 25 years, Roberta, president of Matchison Consulting, has helped leaders in highly regarded companies, including General Motors, New Balance, and Microsoft, and small to medium-sized businesses, achieve dramatic growth and market leadership through the maximization of talent. And she's the author of six books, including the recently released Can We Talk? Seven Principles for Managing Difficult Conversations at Work, as well as several others. She's an amazing and accomplished thought leader. I can't wait for this conversation. But Roberta, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I am excited and just a quick shout out to Earl, Earl Brion for introducing us. I value the network and it is through the network and even my listeners that amazing people have been introduced to you. So keep those recommendations coming so we can bring great insights to you. But the reason why I wanted to bring Roberta onto the show was one of the things in her headline and on her LinkedIn profiles, she talks about businesses today waste millions and millions, and may I say millions of dollars on unwanted employee turnover, and they struggle to increase the retention of top talent and yield a dramatic reduction in hiring costs. Oh my, this is a leading indicator of how businesses should operate talent development. It's not just about the technology or the products, though those are important, but it's the investment in people. So Roberta, I would love for you to share a bit about yourself personally, as well as the journey to the work that you're doing now. Well, thank you. Like you, I am someone who really believes that without people, nothing happens. And I can't think of any businesses unless, you know, you're a solo practitioner where you don't have other people working for you. And so, you know, so often organizations, big budgets are going to sales and they're going to marketing, but it's the people in HR who get ignored. (laughs) You know, there's not enough funds to promote the organization so that the company has an exciting employment brand. And there's not enough attention being paid to the people side. And I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a lot of this change happening in the last maybe three to six months. 
as it gets harder and harder and harder to bring talent in. So my life's work has always been around helping organizations hire and keep the best people. And for me, time and time again, it always comes back to the leadership, which, as you know, starts at the top. So it does start with leadership, but maybe just tell me a little bit more about the leaders that have chosen not to invest in talent management and talent retention. I mean, what have you seen go wrong for which maybe they hit a crisis point and then they contact you? What, what, (laughs) what, let's just set that stage because perhaps that leader is out there. And I really, really want to understand the impact that not only are you having, you may be helping with short term results because you're getting the numbers, but think about the long term investments. So what have you seen some leaders not do well? Well, I think that they don't put enough stock into the fact that they really need to invest in their people and that people don't work for companies, they work for people. And so when you work in an organization, we all know everything's not perfect. But if you work for a leader who you really like, you respect, he or she respects you, you have a great relationship, you're more likely to stay even if everything isn't perfect. But when you get into these situations where you feel like nobody really cares, nobody would notice if you went away tomorrow, you know, if the phone rings, you'll pick it up. And if it's a call about a new opportunity, you'll be like, yes, I'm interested. So I feel really strongly and the people that reach out to me, they're usually at a crisis point, but I don't think that they should wait until they're at that place, right? I think that if you believe in the practice of treating people well and investing in the growth of your organization and your people, that the time to call is when you are in a place where you're thinking, I'm good, but I could be better. We could do things better here. So for me, that also is the perfect client that has been pretty successful, has a good team but it's starting to feel uncomfortable. Maybe the requirements are changing, the organization is growing, the sales are coming in, and what worked in your talent pool may not be working now. I really like to talk to leaders at that point when they're just feeling uncomfortable because that's when their minds are open to respond to the needs versus react to the needs. But let me ask another question. What about a leader that says, I've got a good group of talent. I've got some people in place that could potentially take my place. They think things are okay. But how could they test the waters to be sure whether it is or is not okay? Well, usually they don't have to test the waters because two or three months later when those people are gone, they're like, oh my gosh, now what? I don't have the succession team in place that I thought I had. So, you know, the way to test the waters if you aren't at that place is to start giving those people more responsibility and for you as the CEO to step away and things that you might have done in the past on your own, assigning to someone else and, you know, seeing if they're able to handle it or if they could use some support elsewhere to get them to the level where you're comfortable actually taking a vacation. So the word that comes to mind is being more intentional. You could say, okay, yeah, I could test the waters. I could give that assignment to somebody else, but you really need to be intentional about it because you need to be thinking about what can I do now? to see if I do have the right capability and talent and what are the gaps that need to be closed and whether I do have the right people or not. So very, very important. I want to go right to though some of the work that you have written recently. I understand in September of this last year, can we talk? 
<laughs> and mind you, I mean, it seems kind of funny. Can we talk? Of course we talk. We're all communicating, but you have a unique perspective on managing difficult conversations. So tell us a little bit more about writing that book and key messages in it for people to learn from. Well, I love the fact that you say that, can we talk? We're all communicating because I agree. The problem is, are we all listening? Which is part of the communication formula. And so, you know, I started the idea for this book, you know, came to be in my head when I realized that a lot of my executives that I'm working with were asking me the same questions or they were avoiding those difficult conversations that they either needed to have with their people or their boss or a coworker. And so I found myself giving the same advice over and over again. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to write a book on this. (laughs) So that's how the book came to be. But in doing my research, I also found that there really were, there weren't books out there that addressed difficult conversations that one might have to have with their peer or with their boss. Everything I came across was, if you're a leader and you have to have a difficult conversation with your people, this is how you do it. So I decided I needed to fill that gap, which is what I did. I so appreciate that because I too have been coming across that. And in fact, I've done some solo podcasts about difficult conversations. And, you know, I think we work ourselves up into, oh, I want to avoid, I want to work around. I don't know how to do that. I hate confrontation. And I like to try to reframe it. And mind you, it depends on the relationship. Family can be different than somebody in the workplace. There's all those different dynamics. But if you frame it in the standpoint of maybe it's simply a gap between what you expect and what actually happened, and then try to seek ways to close the gap. I too have developed a framework to inch your way forward from one that is perceived as a difficult conversation to simply advancing a conversation for alignment. So I love this work. It is so necessary. I had a lot of hits on a blog post, but could you share maybe just a couple of your insights? Because I want people to read the book about what it is to manage that difficult conversation. Well, there are seven principles that I go into in the book, Can We Talk? And two of the ones that for me really stand out is clarity, meaning you need to be really clear on what you expect to happen as a result of this conversation before you go in and have it. Because it's that example of the salesperson who gets to agreement and keeps talking and loses the sale, right? So if you and I are having a conversation and I'm thinking, well, I'd like us to get here and and I haven't thought it all the way through and we get here and I keep talking and you're like, you know what, Roberta, I don't really agree. I just wind up taking myself and spinning myself out of that conversation. So first and foremost, you really need to get clear so that you know how to frame this conversation. And then the second principle that I think is worth mentioning is compromise, because we're not going to all get everything that we want in these conversations, right? So where would I be willing to give? What could I give up right now in order to get what I need later? So it's really being open. And that goes back to listening, right? Because I know a lot of my clients go in and they'll go in with a prepared script. And then I'm going to say this, and she's going to say that. and I'm, But they never really work, do they? <laughs> So it's really being a good listener and flexing and adjusting and remembering, like, we're trying to get to a place of mutual understanding. And that's really what a conversation is all about, right? 
And I love what you say about that because I sometimes talk about if people still use three by five index cards, it is important to have your talking points because emotions and tension may build up and you may flub your words in the process and you want to be laser focused on what you want to achieve. So having, as to your point, the clarity is so important. But I just love what you say about listening. I often talk about listen more, speak less, because what you thought you might want to get out of that conversation, once you build a deeper relationship, you might actually find out reasons why you have had been misaligned in what you want to do and find a greater opportunity for collaboration versus simply the gap or the difficult conversation you want. So there's a whole opportunity potentially around just coming to terms and having those conversations with people. That's very true. And you may even realize, oh, well, I misunderstood. <laughs> That's not at all what this person was saying. You know? Yeah. So if you, to your point, like a salesperson, you could just go on and on and on and roll over the person and never have that point of discovery and say, oh, wow, then this really isn't a problem. We're actually more aligned than we thought. <laughs> you know, I'll share a funny story with you because a lot of people who read the book, Cam and Doc say, I could use this in my personal life. And my husband and I are planning a trip in a couple of weeks to London. And I found a hotel that I thought would accommodate us quite nicely. And everything he found, I thought, oh, gosh, I am not staying there. And so I finally found a place I thought would work for both of us. And it was, you know, for six nights in total, 250 bucks more. Well, he thought it was $250 more a night. So for like five days, I'm like, really? I can't believe you would, you're going to push back on this, you know, a whole bunch of wasted time and energy and anger. And in the end, the thought just occurred to me. And I said to him, did you think I meant like $250 a night or $250? So, I mean, had I not clarified that today, I don't think we'd be talking. We probably wouldn't be traveling together. (laughs) And out of that, you know, I see your laughter and giggle that sometimes in the end, we have to laugh over, is this what it was all about? And then you build a deeper relationship and understanding, and it won't be so difficult next time. (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) So, you know, I want to go in a couple different directions here. Let's let's just stick then with the leaders that you work with. So let's just say you have a highly aware leader that is at that point of almost being in chaos. I'd love for you to maybe share a story a bit about what was their situation and what was the work that you did that brought them to the other side and the impact that it had on the organization. Wow, there's a lot of those, right? (laughs) Well, I have a client who's the CEO of a hospital and he was having difficulties with one of his VPs and he wasn't really being that clear with his VP, although he thought he was being really clear. And it wasn't until we re-ran that conversation. I'm like, okay, tell me again what you said and why you said that. It wasn't until he had a chance to hear himself think and speak that he realized, oh boy, this is not a one and done conversation. I have to go back. I have to clarify what it is that I just told him I expected because I didn't tell him. So I think, you know, having a coach or you know, an advisor, and I work as a advisor to a lot of CEOs, as I'm sure you do as well, having that person where you can bounce ideas off of and gain like an understanding of how that's going to come across is extremely valuable because he would have lost that VP. I'm sure that woman went back to her office and started like updating her LinkedIn profile and 
getting her resume ready because she was out of there. Value of having somebody to speak to, even if you are a highly talented individual and have been able to get to this point successfully without much help, there was a time and place where you need to bounce ideas off of somebody. I too was just in a session with my marketing person and we were talking about one of the product launches I wanted to do and I was actually delaying. But until they had a frank conversation with me, I realized I shouldn't delay anymore. So it's always good have somebody in your back pocket and be an advisor too. So what then was the end result of him realizing he hadn't been communicating effectively in the right way? How did the relationship change and how did they move forward? Well, when he went back in and clarified and said, you know, I may have come across in a way that I'm not particularly proud of. And when he showed that, you know, he was human, like myself and you and me, he chuckled and she chuckled, and they were able to move forward. But it also gave him awareness that if he was doing this with her, he was probably doing this with other people, which is confusing the message. He wasn't being very concise in what he was trying to communicate. So I'm so grateful that there are people like you that are going into organizations to help not only develop the leaders, their behaviors, and how they communicate, but then as a result of that, they are more aware on how they start elevating the talent in their organization. There's one piece of work that you have done that got me intrigued. I believe one of the publications you have is Suddenly in Charge, How to Manage Up and Down. And one of the things I find with aspiring C-suite leaders is sometimes they are put in a supervisory and a manager role. And we have to teach them skills on how to manage down, how to communicate, set expectations, roadmaps, have difficult conversations. But I haven't heard a lot of people talking about managing up. And I do coach on what are some things they can do to manage up. But I would love for you to go a little bit deeper into that work and some of your thoughts around a leader in a position where now they need to manage up. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was talking to the publisher this morning about the book, Suddenly in Charge, Managing Up, Down, and All Around. And he just told me that, you know, that book has sold well over 20,000 copies. And we're actually in conversation about the possibility of a third edition because people, what I say to clients and to people that are listening is that if you don't manage up, you're not going to have to worry about managing down because you will get taken out by a wave you never saw coming. And I see this happen time and time again. One of my clients that recently called me to re-engage me as his coach, he just got stuck in the middle of a political battle that he never saw coming. And he hadn't taken the time to build those strong relationships. And it looks like at this point in time, he may be a casualty. That's unfortunate. So what then could be some actionable tips? I'm new in my role. I'm a first time as a manager. I've got a few people in my care. I have to give presentations or influence others? What are a couple things that they could do, a technique to learn or step into what it means to manage up? Well, consider spending more time getting to know your boss and his or her style and getting to know their peers and spend a little less time on the tactical piece of your job. So I find that when, especially when people go into new jobs, They are so like worried, oh, I have to prove that I know what I'm doing. And they spend all this time with their head down doing whatever needs to be done. And they don't look up 
and they don't take the time to go have lunch with a colleague or go have lunch, you know, in get a cup of coffee in the break room. So they're not really establishing those relationships so that when opportunities come along, nobody knows about them. No one knows what they've done. They're just like another worker bee. So it's really getting in there and thinking about what have I done today to build a stronger relationship with somebody who's either, you know, up here, an influencer or higher up in the organization. So the interesting reason why you and I are so aligned is I just wrote an article on a podcast episode on how not to be uh, the best kept secret, to be known, seen, heard, respected, et cetera. Because if you're lucky enough to have a boss that's an advocate, and I had one once, and it was great. I moved up several times under his leadership. And then when they went away, I no longer had an advocate. So I soon had to learn to advocate for myself. And I was a casualty, meaning I had to sit and wait. I was heads down, hoping I'd get that promotion. Then when you started asking the questions and you weren't even being considered, you wonder, what did I do wrong? But the thing is, in business, they don't teach this to people coming up. If you happen to be one of the lucky ones, one of the ones that's been identified by the C-suite, you may get a coach who advises you of this stuff. But I still wonder why in business, they only teach people to be heads down versus spending time and building relationships. Your thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, well, look at the curriculum. I mean, it hasn't changed that much. Well, it has a a little bit. It's very funny. My daughter is a senior at Drexel University in Pennsylvania, and she sent me a text the other day. She's like, Mom, my professor's talking about managing up. She must know about you or something. And I, I just chuckled like, wow, she really, my daughter paid attention. Like she knows I wrote a book on managing up, you know, <laughs> because most schools don't teach this subject. You know, you don't go and take a class on managing up, although it has to be one of the most important skills that anyone and everyone needs to learn. So, you know, any books you can get your hands on, my book is Suddenly in Charge. Even if you only read half the book, on managing up, the book flips, so you only have to read half. It's worth the investment. If you, you know, Google around reading an article like you wrote, I've wrote, written tons of articles on this topic. It's just something, and I also did LinkedIn learning courses on managing up. So if your listeners have access to LinkedIn learning, there's a ton of great material there. It's just something that even if you're uncomfortable with it, you cannot ignore it. So I am so grateful. I am <laughs> around such a prolific content creator. I aspire to maybe six books at some point and maybe LinkedIn will be giving me a call at some point. Cause again, I just love this work of trying to educate others because honestly, even through having you on my podcast, Earl's podcast and several others, you never know who is listening and whose lives we are impacting. But just a, another quick question for you. So do you have another book coming out? Well, we're talking about that this morning. So, I mean, we have three options. I always give people three options. So I'm not sure yet where we're going to land on it, but I have a feeling that it is going to have something to do with managing remotely because so many people are now have transitioned from working in the office to working at home, either part-time, full-time. So I think the next direction that we'll head in is advice for leaders who are managing hybrid and remote teams. Because I think there are a lot of skills that need to be acquired in that area. 
that people haven't thought about yet. You know, this brings up, and this is where I'm going a bit off script, and it's, again, just you and I talking. I almost feel, and there is a lot of content, and there are going to be several years that people are struggling with this, how to manage remote hybrid teams. But I almost feel like that's a lagging indicator because we had a crisis and the workplace environment had to change. The voice of the people's needs came up and we had to respond to it, react to it, actually. And I wonder, two to five years down the road, the next crisis, whether it's political, economical, health, what have you, what is the next thing we should be seeking to understand in terms of having and managing a workforce talent management, et cetera. Do you have any glimmer or anything else that you see that people haven't even recognized yet? I'm just curious. Well, I'm chuckling because I proposed a book three years ago on digital nomads and on, you know, managing remote workers. And I was asked to put the proposal together by a very prestigious publisher. And, you know, I got the proposal together, my agent submitted it, and then After a little bit of thought, the publisher said, you know, this is a boring topic. We don't think we're going to do a book on this, right? So like I was ahead of the curve here. I could have had that book done and out. But in any case, I mean, I think that the world of work is changing. I think that where people's heads are at, I think that, you know, what what was that movie, Network? I think they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. And I think that the pendulum has swung and it's going to be a long time before we go back to employers being in charge, whereas now employees really have the upper hand. And that's just going to require a whole different kind of culture in order to manage this. And I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but I do know that if you're managing based on the way you used to manage before the pandemic, that's not going to fly. You know, you're just spawning some thought while we're, <laughs> we're we're spitballing back and forth here. What I think is that we talk about just good project management. You have work that needs to be done and you match the talent to the work. So it's good resource management. And so I think leaders need to just look at what is all the work content that needs to get done? What are my core competencies for which maybe I do need to employ people close by? And then all of the other work doesn't necessarily need to be on my payroll, doesn't need to be in my time zone. And it could be only 20% of the talent is within your sphere of influence. And the 80% is outside, nomadic, remote, wherever it might be. And it continually changes. You should be reevaluating every quarter, the percentiles, the demographics, et cetera. It's really about resource allocation, not necessarily how many people you have physically in a brick and mortar. So are you writing that book? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm a content, you know, I am waiting for the universe to say what questions or ask me the questions that need to be answered. The CEO's Compass, Your Guide to Get Back on Track was the first book. You never know, the second book might be just that. But, oh my gosh, this has been such a great interview. I am just grateful to know that there is another thought partner similar in this journey to make sure that leaders have the resources and behaviors and knowledge to really evolve their workforce talent, to achieve their goals. So I'm grateful to know you. And I wish you continued success in the work that you're doing. But as we bring this to a close, are there any last thoughts you want to impart on leaders or aspiring leaders or even some tips that they could take away and start using tomorrow? Well, my hope is that as a result of the conversation that you and I are having, that leaders feel comfortable being vulnerable. 
I hope they feel comfortable, you know, reaching out to me. They can reach me at Roberta at MatchesonConsulting.com. I hope they feel comfortable reaching out to you and saying, hey, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. I could use a little help or am I doing this right or what could I do better? Because what you need to understand if you're a leader and you're listening to this is no one's expecting you to be perfect. People want leaders who are vulnerable, who are authentic, who are transparent. And you're not going to get that way if you go in and manage your team with armor on and pretending that you're just so wonderful. Because let's face it, everybody already knows where your warts are. So I would just encourage your listeners to be open to having these kinds of conversations. And if you need help, ask. That takes courage. But please, I ask everybody, have the courage to ask. I talk about this a lot. Reach out to Roberta. Reach out to me if you're comfortable about having a conversation. Usually, you gain great insight in a short conversation. We love to be in service to you. So again, please reach out to Roberta. Check out her work. Roberta, you've been an amazing guest, and I do wish you continued success. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, The CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.